Welcome back to Turak Chat Podcast. My name is Jessica Poulter and I work in the marketing department at Turak College. I am so excited to be hosting this podcast today and I am joined by Hannah Shippen and I am a year 11 media student and fellow horse rider to our very special guest, Georgia Connolly. So Georgia's had an amazing career over her time since she's left Turak College as a student herself. She's not only the Victoria Racing Club ambassador, but she's actually the first Australian woman to compete at the Magnolia Cup in England. Georgia, you are a Turak College collegian, which is so exciting for our girls to know because it just proves that you can go anywhere in any kind of career direction. How has that transition period been for you from being that equestrian girl at Turak to where you are today? I left Turak College in 2007. Um, I had a great time whilst I was here. And then since then, I've just kind of felt my way through life. And um, luckily for me, I've experienced some great highs and lows in performance horse riding, um, both eventing and dressage. And also I ended up now, I'm the Victoria Racing Club ambassador. Woo. Alongside. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> like that. Got a fan club here. Um, yeah, alongside the likes of Gay Waterhouse. And um, yeah, I've been very fortunate to find myself in that position. Um, I think the school prepared me really well for life. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left school. I think probably like a lot of girls, you sort of 18 and you're trying to figure out what career might suit you and realistically you got no idea like you're a kid sort of thing so I you know I had some ideas but my parents were really relaxed about um, whether I went to university or not and so they sort of suggested that perhaps I go traveling for a bit and just grow up and get a job and just figure out where I want to be um, before I made any major life decisions and so yeah I kind of took their advice I traveled, I rode horses in the UK for a little while, came back, got a job, still didn't know what I wanted to do exactly. I recently read back some of my old school reports, I was going through things, (laughs) which is a wake up call. But, yeah, you actually really do see traits of yourself um, from past reports. But one of the things that stood out in it was not that I was by any means an academic, but that I made an impression with people in terms of making them feel as though they were included and um, that was something that was a common thread right from when I was a little kid all the way through to when I finished year 12 all of the teachers sort of would comment George is very good at including all the girls and that is something that I've carried through with life and I think that's what's got me where I am now Mm -hmm. and um, so I think it's important to recognize those traits in yourself and you know like harbor them and try and Um, grow them as you grow also but basically how I got the role with the Victoria Racing Club was serendipity I knew a girl who had worked as the My Fashions on the Field ambassador before me so in 2014 and then for 2015 they didn't have anybody sorted yet I was doing real estate like I was not in that (laughs) field I was not looking to go that way it was so off my radar this friend of mine spoke to the Victoria Racing Club and said, I actually think I've got a girlfriend that would suit the role really well. And they took a chance and they wanted to meet with me and she had to break the news to me that she had put my name forward without telling me. And I nearly died. I was like, oh my God, what have you done? And it was, yeah, it was quite shocking. And I thought, no, 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 I'm not that girl. Like I don't do that sort of stuff. And um, I was quite happy in my small little existence. And she said, just get out of your own 
own way. And it is, that's the best advice you can give anyone. Just let the opportunities come to you and, you know, and just roll with them. Next minute, it turned into a second interview. And then before I knew it, it was down to me and two other girls. And we were meeting with the head of my PR and And the interesting thing about that interview, we were told it was going to be a formal interview and I went and I'd memorized all of the designers that Maya had on their, you know, list of brands and I'd done all of my homework and research. And then I got in there and it was the Victoria Racing Club head of PR and it was my head of PR. And the two of them were just chatting like, oh, friends. I sort of sat there for a second and then I was like, you know what? I think they just want me to keep up with them. So I just started chatting with them after maybe 20 minutes of just gossiping and (laughs) chit-chatting. Sounds like a fun interview. Yeah, (laughs) it was. It was. Um, They said to me, that's great. Thanks very much for coming in. And I assume that went okay. I later found out the two other girls that interviewed didn't pick up on that hint. That's what they were after, was just to see that you could keep up and banter and just go with the flow. You know, they were sort of sitting there obviously waiting for formal questions about them and why they want this role. And Mm. it's not what it was. So you have to be dynamic and adapt to situations. But yeah, so I got the role as Maya Fashions on the Field Ambassador in 2015. And that was a six-week role. And basically... It was just to promote all things Maya Fashions on the field for the Melbourne Cup Carnival. I got to the end of that and the then CEO of um, the Victoria Racing Club said to the head of PR, let's find a space for her and make a role for her. And so since then, I have been their inaugural ambassador and yeah, rolling into another year. I know, they can't get rid of me. I'm part of the furniture now. (laughs) That's incredible. It just goes to show that any opportunity is something that can be long lasting and, you know, you just need to make sure that you have those good impressions with everyone that you meet you know if you just do a good job and you put your heart and soul into something and the biggest thing be on time even if you're exhausted just put a smile on your face no one wants you to be the grumpy girl it's not that hard to get through life and just do a good job Turak is known for our equestrian team and we are so lucky to have such a strong equestrian team and I don't know how it was when you were here but you did say that you were riding around the time of Turak and I was just wondering how your equestrian journey at Turak translated into your post-Turak horse journey. Well, good question. I actually came to Turak College because of the equestrian team. I lived locally though so it made a lot of sense to come here but it was the equestrian team that... um, me in and in 2007 I was the equestrian team captain which I was thrilled about. I loved my time riding for the school here and I competed a lot every week. I think maybe my attendance wasn't so good because of it but the school was very open to my competition schedule which was great but riding horses and competing in equestrian from day one when you step out of interschools you're competing against adults. You're yeah. like a small fish in a big pond so So it's a really great way to learn some life skills and horses are the ultimate leveler in life. No one can get a big head or get ahead of themselves because they will just throw you on the ground um, and remind you that you're not that special. Yeah. No, I know for myself, you have to act like an adult around horses. There's like no time to be childish. You just have to be really independent and just kind of take it all in your strides. Yeah. And the more you embrace them, the more they sort of give back to you as well. So I think that's a good life lesson in itself also, you know. Like when you take something on and you really put all your heart and soul into it, you sort of reap the rewards. With your horse sports, they're not necessarily, I mean, you do dressage now, but previously you did eventing, which is absolutely terrifying. And you 
have done racing, which is also absolutely terrifying. Yeah, I, I don't know how I got into doing Yeah, that. so did you, was there ever a moment where you kind of sat there and was just like, oh my God, what am I doing? Or was it always just you really enjoyed like the thrill of it? I guess I'm a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. That's my first love and probably my true love yep. in life. If I had the time, I would still be eventing. But I think with work, it's a little bit tricky sometimes keeping your horses that fit it's yeah. a real lifestyle whereas with dressage I mean I just love training horses at the core of it but um with dressage you can kind of do it four or five days a week and it's fine you know yeah. you know you pop into Bonio or wherever it is that you're going and within two hours you could be out of there again so um it's more conducive to your lifestyle but the racing, uh, yeah, I recently was involved in something that's called the Magnolia Cup, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit more later. And that was, well, that involves me galloping down the straight at Goodwood Racecourse in the UK. And in preparing for that, there were definitely moments where I thought, you've bitten off more than you can do, <laughs> like you're an idiot. But ultimately, it ended well. So. <laughs> so that leads me into my next question. So you've just got back from England, is that right? Yeah. And you were the first Australian woman to compete in the Magnolia Cup, which is for charity, I believe. Yeah, it is. So the Magnolia Cup is actually a really cool thing, and I'm pretty honoured that I was invited to be a part of it. I'll give a quick synopsis of what it is without boring anybody but Goodwood Racecourse hosts Glorious Goodwood it's like a festival of racing over a few days essentially it's like our Melbourne Cup Carnival and it's hosted by the Duke of Richmond wow yeah which is very fancy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and I got invited by um, them and an organization called World Horse Racing to participate and the Magnolia Cup is 12 women from all walks of life. Um, Some are superstars in business, some are like reality TV stars, all sorts of stuff. Um, Journalists, whatever, you name it. And basically none of us have ridden racehorses before. So they tell us to go and learn how to ride racehorses and we have to get ticked off to say we're safe to do it. We get teamed up with a trainer in the UK, put on a horse and we gallop down the straight, so 1,100 metres at Goodwood Racecourse in front of like, what was it? I think it was something like 15,000, 20,000 people that day. And it's really good fun and it's all in the name of raising money for their partner charity that year. So this year it was the Wellbeing of Women, which is the UK's largest reproductive and women's health charity so they helped to develop like the cervical cancer vaccine which um, I'm sure you guys have all had I had it when I was here at school really important vaccine and we actually managed to raise through the Goodwood Festival and this race over 300,000 Australian dollars wow. so yeah so it was really amazing that's going to change a lot of women's lives so although it wasn't an Australian based charity it will ultimately affect Australians you know because they're trying to develop you know drugs that will help us ultimately with you know female um, sort of medical issues. You say that training was very rigorous what exactly did you have to do this makes it sound quite trivial but I hadn't done the beep test since school and one of the things I had to do in the test was the beep test so I had to sort of dust off my runners and get back on a treadmill and practice and train for the beep test again but there were things like a lot of sort of static holds and lifts which once you've you start off with the beep test which already builds up lactic acid in your muscles and then you've got to go and like hold five kilos of weight squatting for like four minutes or something and your legs turn to jelly 
And the funny thing was I had to go to a sports science like testing facility to get this done. And they test like professional athletes there and jockeys and the guys going to me. So how many races are you doing? I'm like one, I'm doing one race for a minute and a half, like not even. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not seeing the point of holding this if my legs are like giving way. No, that doesn't seem to, to balance no, at all. No, it turns out as well, because they all said to me, you know, you'll get to the end of the race and and you're so tired you can barely pull the horse up and I'd done so much that I got to the end and they're like the trainers they're ready to catch me sort of thing <laughs> and I was like no I'm okay actually <laughs> like, I think as well because I ride so many horses I was yeah. like sort of riding fit whereas I think some of the other girls don't ride as many horses as I do so, mm. so uh, surely that was a bit of an advantage for you yeah it was an yeah. advantage in a sense I think for fitness but riding um, race horses in work when they're galloping is totally different to everything else I've ever done and um, the best way I can describe it is riding performance horses and learning to ride that way is kind of like a private school education and then riding race horses is like school of hard knocks like you learn on the streets <laughs> and it's about survival so I'd be like riding around and they'd be taking off on me in the early days before I knew how to sort of manage them so but really you have to try and just stay on the horse yeah and that's it pretty much just don't stay fall on off. the horse yeah, you're doing well don't fall off and the girls that I was riding with that were teaching me they would sort of gallop up alongside me and if the horse was like taking off or something they're like don't worry it'll stop eventually they're like just take a deep breath <laughs> oh wow now just to change the topic a little bit you are deemed a fashionista in the horse racing industry and i want to know where that passion for your fashion taste came about I guess it was a bit of a full circle process. My mum was actually a fashion buyer. And so I think through her evolution and career of fashion, that's how my sister and I got um, interested in it. I don't know. I think you just either like it or you don't. And I took an interest in, I think when I was at school, I sort of thought that I was quite trendy, but really I probably wasn't looking back at photos. Um, you know, that's all part of it. You got to have fun. That's it. Um, it was fashionable at the time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you you know it's learning what looks good on you and what doesn't mm. um so eventually by the time you hit 30 you have some clue <laughs> yeah don't worry guys you've got years ahead of you to figure that out <laughs> but yeah I think look my interest in fashion has played quite well into the role that I have with the Victoria Racing Club because obviously that's a huge part you know we have this competition called my fashions on the field which you can win like $400,000 worth of prizes just by dressing yourself for the races. That's something that I actually am really um, proud of that the Victoria Racing Club does, which is help to foster people's interest in fashion and build an interest in racing from a different avenue as well. You know, not everybody goes to the races because they love the horses. Um, some people go because they love the party and some people love to dress for an occasion. And I think that's really important that we still have events that you plan an outfit for and you respect the dress codes because there aren't many places that we do that for anymore. Like, let's face it, you get on a plane in like exercise gear these days mm, you know very true gone are the days of where people would put their finest on to get on a plane yeah so I think that's a really important tradition to keep bringing forward so who's your favorite designer at the moment I'm kind of really into I love Victoria Beckham stuff because it suits me really well I guess <laughs> yeah. um, and I just like her aesthetic I think she keeps it simple um, but with sort of strong takes on stuff 
sport is something that you have to learn to juggle and with school it becomes really hard um, and I'm sure with adult life it becomes even harder mm-hmm. how do you keep yourself balanced while achieving all of the goals that you want to outside of horses as well as achieving the goals within horses yeah it's that's a good question it's really hard to tell you the truth and I think you're right when you're at school you know you you do think it's a little bit tricky because um, obviously you've got homework and all of these extracurricular things that you've got to do as well but the great thing about school is you have a really regimented life and then when you leave school suddenly you're in charge of juggling your own timetable and with work I think that was the biggest thing um, that I had to learn was I couldn't do it all Um, I am somebody that takes things to the nth degree so you know with my horses I'm really vigilant about stuff and if I'm not doing it properly I don't want to do it I had to come to the realization that I couldn't keep eventing and working and pushing my career it just became about saying right this is my limitations let's find something that works within that and dressage fitted into that for me and luckily for me I have a great interest in it anyway you know I'm a real perfectionist and um, I guess when I was eventing as well I had a very keen interest in dressage which is sort of the dark side for eventers yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's a tricky thing and particularly with my career with racing racing is really seasonal as well and so um you know like there are time frames where i'm just flat out like during spring racing carnival i have to kind of say to the horses okay guys it's time for a break you're out in the paddock and you just have to accept that that's life you know because if i try and do the horses at the same time i run myself into the ground once you leave school you were saying earlier on uh you weren't sure what you wanted to do once you left and i think that's the case for so many people it takes a while to kind of find out what you're really interested in and Mm. a lot of like self-discovery yeah with horses i know for myself it's something that i want to do when i leave and i think everybody else will have a sport that they want to keep doing because they love it was there ever a point where you actually i don't even know how to say that um do i want to do it professionally yeah yeah there was when I left school that actually was more where I was leaning towards was becoming a professional horse rider and I'd sort of had those um dreams I guess for a long time and a friend of mine who's one of my best friends she's a bit older than me she actually said to me and I think quite wisely as well she said if you can keep horses as your passion and then make something else for your career and um, I mentioned I got into real estate and and it's just funny how life works out because now I'm sort of in the middle, you know, like I'm yeah. working in the horse industry, but I don't need to ride horses to earn money out of it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's sort of where you have to be a bit open-minded and as I said earlier as well, just take opportunities as they come. You know, I never had ambitions of working in the media yeah. um, or taking on this type of ambassadorial role where you are, you're pushing key messages and you're um, trying to make quite corporate things seem really palatable to people. But I have a flair for it. So the biggest thing I think is that I translated well into that role for them because I have a deep love of horses. Yeah. And it gave them credibility within the industry because – previous to me they'd had models sort of doing the role and it didn't feel genuine um and so industry participants sort of would just fob them off a bit and not really take them seriously but all of a sudden in came this girl me who i loved everything about racing i had been a vrc member since i was probably 10 years old i think 
and I could talk about horses with the best of them. I knew how to manage high performance horses. Yeah. You know, I could stand there and talk to a trainer and talk about soundness issues with them. And all of a sudden, like this sort of light bulb went off that it clicked and I found my place and it gave them, yeah. you know, a new leg to stand on in a way. Yeah. We're gonna play a game that's called Closest to the Pin. I'm gonna give you some facts and you have to try and guess the number or the year and whoever is closest to the correct answer wins. When was the first radio broadcast of the Melbourne Cup? Anyone wanna have a guess? I think like 1920, 1920. That's a good guess. This radio was like- I don't know, I think we're up to about the 156th or 57th running of the Melbourne Cup, but I don't know when radio started. Like, was that back then? (laughs) I'm gonna say, what year did you say, sorry? 1920. 1920. Let's just go about 1900, just for the fun of it. (laughs) I'm gonna be super specific. And I'm going to go 1928. 1928. All right, well, Jess wins a point. What was it? 1925. Oh, my gosh. So close. Very good. All right, next question. So uh, the Melbourne Cup is held over a distance of how many metres? 3,200 metres. Damn it. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) The smallest number of starters for the Melbourne Cup was in 1863. (laughs) How many horses were in it? I need Joe McGrath here from the PRC. He knows all of these. Um, 12? 12? Like 10? I don't know. Maybe I'm going to say, let's go unlucky 13. It was actually seven. Seven. I nearly went eight. I nearly went eight. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And how many was the largest field? It was in 1890. Aren't you allowed only 24? Yeah. But I guess back then did they have <laughs> they didn't have barriers back then, so standing start maybe thirty. Anyone want to take a guess? Thirty by Jess. I'll go twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. All right, just to be different, let's go um, thirty-two, like thirty-two hundred meters. <laughs> oh, I like where you're at. Yeah, it actually was thirty-nine. Oh, wow. so I got close. Yeah, <laughs> did you one? So how many points are you on now? You're on like two or three. I don't know. I can't count. <laughs> I know I have my one. Yeah, I have my one too. <laughs> The first ever winner of the Melbourne Cup was Archer, who won prize money in pounds. How many pounds did he win? Hmm, I'm not sure of that, but I know back then they used to win things like fruit bowls and um, and like silver tea sets. Yeah, and he stuff. also won a gold watch. Yeah. Ooh, oh, wow. Mm. Was it a Rolex? <laughs> <laughs> so, how many pounds do we reckon he won? Uh, this was like 18. Surely it wasn't that much. I'm, I'm just having to think on like pounds and yeah. like Oz dollars within all today's inflation. Probably like, I'll go 300 pounds. 300? I don't know, maybe a thousand pounds? 5,000 pounds? Yeah. <laughs> he won 170 pounds. Oh, oh, oh wow. Yay. Yeah. Oh, prize money's really improved. Yeah, it really has. <laughs> I'm going to be so prepared for the Melbourne Cup tour this year. Yes. <laughs> Looking at all of these yeah. like, Do you know who broadcast it? What year that was? Okay, what was the first year that the Melbourne Cup had a female racing? Sort of recent history, mm. I think. Yeah. Um, like the 90s or something, probably. I was gonna I'm going to go higher. I'm gonna I was going like, to say 2000s, like early 2000s, maybe. 2010. Yeah, it could be. 1987. Oh, oh don't you know. 
there's no hope for us, Hannah. Yeah. <laughs> the fastest winning time for the Melbourne Cup was recorded by Kingston Rule in 1990. When did he cross the line? Anyone want to take a guess? At the time. The time that he, he crossed oh, the line. It takes about three minutes, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I actually have no clue, but... Take a guess. <laughs> I'm just going to say like three minutes, 20. 320? I might go like 250. 250? Ooh! Because if you held yeah. the... I don't reckon it was 250, but I reckon it... Let's go. Um, what did you say? 320. 320. Yeah. That's because of the 32. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to say like maybe 314. That was very close. 316.3. Oh. <laughs> wow. All right, well, I think it's very obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, I mean, I kind of have every reason to maybe win that. It's sort of yeah. pushed in my favour, perhaps. <laughs> Thank you so much, Georgia, for coming in and being our special guest today on Turak Chat Podcast. I know all of the girls are going to be very inspired by your story, as well as our whole community. So thank you again for coming in. Thank you. Join us next week when we interview Dr. Catherine Granger, one of ABC's top five female scientists.